All right, guys, episode 19 of the WRPF podcast. I'm your host, Alex Uslar, and this week I got my boy Danny Grigsby on here. We were already just chatting it up, talking about so many things before we hit record. I'm like, dude, we got to stop yeah. going on we this. We got to save the content for this. <laughs> me, and, me and my boy can just go at it. You guys, I'm pretty sure you guys listening know who Dan Grigsby is, all right? He is the holder of the heaviest deadlift done in a powerlifting competition of all freaking time done last year at the American pro looking to beat it. He's got big plans for the American pro two coming up. He is active duty Marine. So this guy is not just sitting at home all day, chilling and then going and hitting the gym. This guy's living that crazy lifestyle. I'm super excited to dive in, hear your story, Danny, and just, uh, just talk shop, man. So thanks for hopping on. Appreciate you having me on, Murrow. I'm excited. Yeah, man. So we got a lot of things to talk about with present-day powerlifting, current goals, things going on, the American Pro. But I want to take a couple steps back. I want I want to hear your story. I want to hear your background. What were you doing before powerlifting? With all my guests, I always have their open powerlifting history opened up. And we'll, we'll segue mm-hmm. into that, your first competition, 2013. So you've been doing this for 10 years. So what yeah. led you ultimately to finding powerlifting? Yeah, so growing up, I mean, I did various sports. I did football, basketball, track and field, and baseball, all like five to seven years apiece. So I did various sports growing up. I started lifting, say, 13 years old. Yeah, I was like in seventh grade. So I started off just lifting for sports, you know. And obviously, you know, kind of fascinated me and my my dad. He got me a little weight set, and it was just like this tiny-ass bar with maybe 100 pounds of plates. I remember after school, I used to just all I used to do was bicep curls and forearm curls after school. Like my first two years, that's all I did for lifting. It's paid off, bro, because you got jacked that song. It worked. Yeah, yeah, no, gotta gotta respect the forearm. (laughs) And uh, so then into high school, mainly with football and track. I did a year of college football, and going into the summer that second year, kind of redshirted, kind of came to the realization that I enjoyed training for football more than football itself. In high school, you know, you play with the people you grow up with. It's fun. Obviously, it has those elements to it. But then I got to college, and it's like I love the weight room. Like, I was power cleaning 375, 380 as a freshman. So I loved, I loved lifting, and I loved the running. I loved all the things working towards football. But then the actual practices, the film study, all that, I just – it's more of a job as you progress in any sport, right? And, but yeah, I just after my first year, I was like, yeah – can't see myself doing this for another three years. So then I dropped I dropped out of college. I went to a D2 school called Western Oregon. So then shortly after, I'm just lifting for a few months, you know, just kind of like bro lifting. And then at my meet uh, from Corvallis, Oregon, at that gym called Downing's, called Downing's Gym, they had a competition there in the summer of 2013. And the owner asked me to do it, and I did it without really training for it. And, you know, it kind of replaced that competitive edge. That, like, like, I missed football, the Friday Night Lights. I missed track. Back was honestly my favorite sport because it was the only individual sport I did. And that's ironic because when I started powerlifting, I was like, sweet. Like, you can train with a crew, you have a coach, but it's ultimately on you. And that's what I like the most, you know, because a team sport is great when you win, but it sucks when you lose when you know you did your job to the fullest, you know. So from there, like I said, around, I think it was August 2013. After that, I got into powerlifting. And then a little less than two years later, I joined the Marines. And at this point, I thought I was going to go to Afghanistan, Iraq. I didn't know what was going to happen. So I thought at that point, powerlifting was just done. Because I had to figure out my life out, you know? Like, back then, I don't know, there wasn't the kind of sponsorships or notoriety where it's like, 
you can find ways just to eat, sleep, train, and you get paid, right? So I joined the Marines, and for a few years, I'm I'm powerlifting. But once again, the rigors of the work, like back then, I would run 10, 12 miles a week with the Marines, work long days. And so obviously, the conditions were not great. And then late 2018, that's when my situation changed. And I really started gaining strength. And ever since, and 2020 was obviously my breakout um, breakout year. That's when I broke my first two all-time world records. Uh, now with this gym called Iron Mongers in uh, Vista, California. And I think a year or two before that, probably like late 2018, that's when I realized, okay, I could probably be up there. But the progression, and I tell people all the time, like, it's good to have great goals, but I'm under the opinion it's kind of better just to, I don't want to say to take a slow and steady approach, but when you truly, really try to overreach for something, you're either going to get injured or you're going to, like, I don't want to say overtrain. When you just think about, okay, like, I just want a little get better. This block, I just want to slightly improve. Then eventually you hit these crazy strides because you do all the little things right and then they add up. But if it's like, I want to put 100 pounds on my squat in less than six months, well, even if you do that, where are you going to go from there? Because you're going to run yourself into the ground. And even if you bear, even if you somehow get to an 800-pound squat, 800-pound squat from a 700-pound squat, then it's going to take you forever to build momentum again. So I've always had this mindset of like, every minute I want to get better, but I always try to leave some in the tank, try to have something to build off of. And I want to do this for another three to five years. So I look at it as like a longevity kind of thing. Because that's the cool thing about powerlifting is I believe you could do it into your mid to high, maybe even late 30s, depending on if injuries occur and whatnot, you know, nowadays a lot of people think, Oh, if I'm not 2021, 20, I'm not absolute stud, you know, it's game over. So that's what no way. Powerlifting is. Yeah. Like 2021, if you could, if I could rewind to 10 years ago and you told me what I'm doing now back then, I'd be like, this is bullshit. There's no way this is fucking like, I, like when I started, I didn't think I would ever be this. I was like, I want to do this for fun and to have that competitive uh, void I had from other sports. I love working out. I love working out, period. So I'd be in the gym regardless if I power lift. So that's kind of at times, you know, because of work, I'd have dips for a few months. I couldn't train very consistently, but I'll still show up to the gym. And that consistency over time, I feel like it's really added up. Because it's crazy. Like you said, I've been doing this a decade and it just doesn't seem like it because I'm always, I'm always enjoying it the whole time, you know? Like a decade is forever, you know? When you say a decade, that really puts it into perspective. It like, does. So let, let's rewind on some of the things he talked about. So 2013 first competition, right? And it's funny because if you guys are uh, consistent listeners of this podcast, a lot of the guests that I've interviewed and myself included found and started powerlifting in around 2013. 2013, I feel like that era is, you guys have heard us talk a lot about some of these lifters and, and me and Danny were talking about them right before we hit record. It was like the era of the Dan Greens, right? Um, uh, Eric Lillibridge, like all these lifters, 2014, 2015. And that's what exposed at least myself and a lot of the previous guests to powerlifting. What would you say? Because again, you were lifting weights for football in a weight room. You, you know, football players, they squat, they bench, they deadlift. What was your early on motivations and some of the first lifters that you saw and that got you familiar with the actual term and understanding of powerlifting versus I'm lifting weights and playing football or I'm in the weight room? So, and I would say definitely, I know it's cliche, but obviously everyone always says Dan Green. I mean, because he was one of the first, I don't want to say viral guys, but he was one of the first forefronts of powerlifting at that time to get like getting the social media. 
and obviously the Lillard Bridges. I mean, especially on YouTube, I watched them when I first started because they documented a lot of stuff. And I remember George. You remember George Lehman? Oh yeah, Florida man. He, he's from down here in Florida. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. My first I competition, I think, it was in like 2015, 2016. He was there. And I think really? he deadlifted for like 900. It was like the second battle of the Bay, I think 2015. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> yeah, because I remember, and obviously Pete Rubish, and I see some of those guys at the time, I was like, I don't know if I could do this because they're all pretty like, they're all pretty intense, man. They're like, they're getting in it. But it was still, even though I'm kind of a more even keel guy, even when I lift, like, I get psyched up, but it's like internally, you know, you may not see it. I'm not just like ready. Like, I'm not showing that I'm like, oh, but like, I get dialed in mentally, but some people, everyone has a different way of like getting themselves into the zone, you know? And it was just, I just love watching those dudes get into the zone. They just look crazy. I'm like, dude, like, my favorite guy, I know you're going to remember him, and I don't think I've talked about it on the podcast yet, but good old Zaheer. You remember Zaheer? Oh, Zaheer Kudayara. He'll fucking kill, murder, kill. Oh my God, dude. That guy's intensity was unmatched. So good. But uh, uh, something to continue segueing and connecting a lot, some of the dots of what you said is powerlifting and a lot of people, you know, historically thought, how long can I do this? Can I do this into my mid thirties? Can I do this into my late thirties and still progress? And I think the era that we grew up seeing made a lot of the mistakes and we were able to see their mistakes of pushing too much intensity, pushing too hard and just, you know, ultimately leading to injury after injury that made their careers so short. So, so many of these lifters that we love and that we're mentioning and talking about right now burst into the scene and then they were gone. And I think we're seeing a lot more longevity now of the, John Hacks and you know yourself that have been around already for a couple of years breaking records for a couple of years and are doing smarter trajectories to be able to continue doing that and with that it also it's the growth of the sport and helping it stay established and as big and mainstream as it is now because again 10 years ago when we were finding it we were some of the smaller select few people finding out about it as opposed to now it's like it's just a household name it's crazy yeah yeah i agree because like i especially knowing what i know now i could look back to some of those videos from seven ten years ago like that i could totally see okay like they probably were doing some things that they could have done better you know it, it is and it, but you can't blame them in the moment because they like you don't you only know what you know, you know? So obviously, of course, 10 years later, we're going to have better knowledge about recovery, about, you know, exercises, like how much output, like the intensity you got to do it. But obviously back in the day, it was just like, go, go, go all the time. But obviously your body can't like, I don't care what kind of recovery methods you're doing. You got to like, you got to tone it down at times, you know? But, uh, yeah. So, yeah, those guys- so taking you, taking me through your trajectory, because again, your first competition, 2013 deadlift 600 pounds. That's pretty good yeah. for someone in their first competition. You know, it took me years to deadlift 600 pounds. Then from there, within two years, you're deadlifting 700 pounds in competition. At what point, because you mentioned, you know, things were crazy. You were still training, but weren't focusing on it as much as you would have liked to or thought you could. At what point were you like, man, I could be really good at this. What was the specific turning point? And I'll, I'll give you a, I'll bank in the beginning, but like it was, it was 2018 that I had some context. I was in Australia for six months on a deployment. So I come back and then, you know, I get with 
at my time, my coach was Rick Simmons, the owner of Ironmongers. And we pick out a meeting. It was like March, March 2019. And uh, at that meeting, I squatted 680, 700 range and sleeves. I bent 360, And honestly, what everyone really cares about is deadlift. So that meeting, I just wanted to break 800 for the first time officially in a meeting. I already done it in training. Then I end up doing eight. 848, and I did it pretty easily, and at the time, the 275 record was 9, 930, yeah, it was 930, I believe, it was like this guy, his name was Arius, Zach Arius, or like something, he was American, I don't remember, he was a really legit deadlifter, it was like 930 something, and uh, so I'm like, okay, in two years, I could probably get to that, and then, yeah, the next year rolls around, and my prep was going good. Then I ended up, doing, I ended up adding 100 pounds and doing 948. I did – I went 860, 903. I chipped the record with 933. Then I did a fourth and did 948. Uh, honestly, I'm happy we don't have fourth attempts anymore in the WRPF. It's like the amount of, like, times I've really just torn my hands because I'm like, oh, I could do a fourth attempt. And I like, I always regret it after. It, it holds up the meat too, you know. Like if too many people do fourth, I feel like it just affects the flow. I don't know. You, the meat director, you could probably attest to that. Oh, 100%. more than I do. But I'm thinking of too many people, like, and then people complain because, oh, we're behind on flights. But it's like five people wanted to set a state, national, like, whatever kind of record, and they pulled force, and that just totally throws off everything. You know? And I think, I think it also, it's exciting that it's gone because it leaves you wanting more, you know, it leaves you uncertain yeah. to have more. Can I push more? It leaves you more motivated. And instead of going for a fourth attempt and feeling defeated, you know, uh, but beyond from a meat director perspective of it being annoying as shit, because it's so stupid when you'd go to, I remember 2015, 2016, 2017, those three years, I went to USPA nationals and, USPA Worlds, which were both in Las Vegas at the Golden Nugget, because I had a ton of masters athletes that I coached at the time that all wanted to go to it. And I'm pretty sure every single one of them took fourth attempts because all these masters records were uh, oh unwritten. God. And I tell you what, those meets, because it was all like the masters and the people just wanting the special placards, ran longer than any meets I'd ever been to in my life. So... <laughs> The hell with that. Goodbye. But so very impressive. So 2020, that was the first time you you went, you set that goal a year before and you're like, okay, a couple of years yeah. towards it. And next thing you know, you hit it within one year. Yeah, that's, I guess that's what I kind of mean by the goal setting is, like I said, I gave, I said, oh, two, two and a half years, I'll probably be near that. But I focus on all the little things, like, like I said, just in terms of consistency, my diet, sleep, all these things. And then, I don't want to say miraculously, but obviously, I went. My progress accelerated, but it's kind of instead of just. I know this a lot with people. Let's say uh, you're dealing with 770. The difference between 795 and 800, like 800, like there's a science behind numbers, like nu numerical 100, 200, 300, 400, and so on. Like I've learned not to obsess over exact numbers, because like I said, then you might overshoot or you might just run yourself to the ground. Cause you're like, Oh, I really, I really want this number in this short, this specific amount of time. Whereas if I just tell myself it'll happen, I don't want to say it'll happen when it happened, but I give myself goals and I kind of structure it, but I don't have a strict timetable. And I always just amaze myself because like I said, just 
training goes, the ebbs and flows, and eventually you hit your stride. But it's not going to be like this. Like I said, you're going to have some uh, curb, curbs in the road and stuff. Yeah, because that happened. And I was like, damn, okay, I'm at 948. Maybe, once again, maybe a thousand in two, three years' time. You know, like, that, that's just always been my mindset. And I was like, maybe I could total – because I did 2100 that meet because I squatted seven – 730 something fence 39400. God, I don't remember. I should remember. Four, obviously 948. Yeah, 424. That's right. Yeah, because I broke 400 for the first time that meet. Yeah, so, uh, and then after that meet, so I come to the East Coast because I was in Camp Pendleton. I was on uh, Southern California for four years. And once 2020 hits, I can transfer to the East Coast to Boston, DC. And I took a year off powerlifting because of my school. Well, it was like 10 months. Because uh, I'm a world famous body bear right now, the funeral casket team for the Marine Corps. So we perform uh, funerals at Arlington National Cemetery for uh, Marines and their family members. So that's cool and very grueling. A lot of pull ups, running, a lot of bicep curls. We do plate carries, farmer, farmer's walks with plate carries, 45s. But during that time, I couldn't deadlift, but I did minimal squatting. I benched. I was still benching heavy because that's the one thing I could do. And, and once again, and I graduated in April 2021. A few weeks later, the showdown sent me an invite. I'm like, God, like, it sucks. Like, I want to do a big time meet, but like, I haven't paddled it for a year. And I was like, and Casey's my coach. So I was like, fuck it, I'm just going to do this. I didn't even expect a PR. I was like, I just want to go to a big time meet and see the environment, you know? If I take it all in, this is where I want to be in a few years. So I had no expectations. And then from April to, it was in July or August. September. I think it was in July. September. Oh, it was in September. That's right. Yeah. So at that meet, I ended up squatting. I only chipped my total by like five pounds, but I added 30 pounds. I did 970 that meet. And that's still probably the craziest thing I've ever done. And I went from not deadlifting for a whole year. Like, I, I swear to God, I deadlifted one or two times this very lightweight. The, the school was so demanding. My back and knees were killing me. So I could deadlift even if I wanted to. And to go from ground zero to hitting a PR in four months, it's like, obviously the things I've done since I'm proud of, and obviously a lot goes into it. That's one of those things I'll look back on and be like, damn, I actually did that. Like, I didn't even think I was going to pull over 900. I'm like, I don't deadlift for a year. How am I going to, like, you know, you got to build on yourself to, like, see some kind of improvement. And I kind of pulled that out of nowhere. You know? I, I remember seeing that kind of saga unfold on social media because obviously when you first broke that all-time world record, you started getting some recognition from that, getting reposted on some of these pages, people see your stuff, and then you kind of disappear, right, for a while. No one sees your stuff anymore. And then I remember <laughs> you come back. I, I feel like did, when you came back, did you have a shaved head already at this point? Yeah, that's 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 when I came back is with the shaved head. Right, because <laughs> when, you, when, you broke, when you first broke it, you had a full head of hair, right? Yeah, <laughs> come back and I'm like, well, wait, I remember seeing this guy. I remember seeing his pull. Oh shit! And then it's like your comeback. Yeah. And you're posting some pulls leading up to that prep, and I'm like, Jesus! He just went zero to a hundred in fucking three <laughs> months. This is nuts. And then the showdown meet, yeah, happened, right? Yeah, yeah. That and at that at that meet, I attempted a thousand. A thousand. I'm not gonna lie though. That was the only time I ever got in my head. Like I mentally. You know, when you're mentally defeated for, because I was overthinking it. Because once again, I was like, damn, you know, like the fact that I pulled 970 is cool, but I don't know if I could do a thousand. And I attempted it, but I wasn't mentally like in the right headspace, you know. 
and after that, I was like, dude, I'm never going to doubt myself again. Because, like, when I watched the replays from that, I got it, like, 95% of the way up. If I wouldn't have sat, like, it's all hearsay. Literally, I sat back too much because I was worried about locking out and extending. And then afterwards, I was like, dude, I literally had that. Like, why am I overthinking this? And then, obviously, the next year, the next year, I was like, I'm not missing that again. Like, that's when I pulled 1,025. So. And that, that yeah. only did you break the thousand pound deadlift barrier first time you broke it with a thousand twenty five. That's absurd, absurd. And then you've been able to continue doing that again at the American pro and me being there for those pulls, the American pro, I can, I can, I can just say, I could tell looking at you, you had no doubt. It looked like you were having so much fun. You were just, oh, yeah, dude. Oh, yeah. Like, it was a fucking, punk, I don't, man. Yeah. I don't, it was just weird. Cause like, I think. Because of my background with, like, if I had to do the math, I probably have, like, 30-plus years combined in sports. If you if you add up all the sports, how many years I've done. And it's, like, even as a kid, there was a lot of moments. Like, I remember like, there was a sixth moment when I was baseball in, like, fourth, fifth grade. It was a full pitch count, two, three. Game was on the line. And I was scared as hell that I hit it. I hit it right between second and third base and won the game because we got the scoring time run. And – the track, it was like districts. Like I was, I was seeing fifth going into districts. Then I won it. Came out of nowhere. Once again, came out of nowhere. And just same with football. Like my my senior year, it's either my junior senior year. Like I literally scored a touchdown in the first play, like fifty percent of the games. Because it's like my fight or flight. I just I feed off that adrenaline. I feed off the environment. And it's almost like I just I intuitively figured out how to channel it. You know, and I really do believe like. And it's more so a thing with deadlift, but, like, if you truly know how to control – the problem is if you let the adrenaline get to you too fast, it starts zapping you of energy, right? Like, when you get when you get too anxious and then you kind of feel this, like, zapping your energy. But, yeah, it's like I love – I've never performed in front of a crowd like that. It just got me so hyped because I'm like, dude, like, and think about where powerlifting was 10, 15 years ago. It used to be in high school gymnasiums and all this stuff, and now we're in – they're literally renting out a facility, like a literal arena to lift in. So that whole, I was just taking it all in that whole day. And I was like, dude, this is a power thing. This is what it's becoming. And that's really awesome, you know? And it's cool yeah. to be involved in one of the best at the best time ever, right? It's, it's fucking badass seeing what it's grown into and us being able to watch the evolution at over 10 years. I've talked about this with so many of my guests. I never force, foresaw it coming to what it is today. Uh, or being as big as it is today and having as many people in it as we do. So it's, it's very, very cool to be a part of it. Um, something that I'm, I'm curious about. So we, we kind of went through that history. Obviously we know which we'll get into in a second. Now you're training for the American pro too, right? We'll get into goals and such like that, but what has your training historically looked like over the last couple of years you know, through doing your grueling training of what you're doing, but even when you're working and things are less intense with the, with the, with the Marines and you're training normally, what is What does a typical training block? How do you peak? And ultimately you've been able to stay healthy. Like we were talking about, you know, longevity is very important to you. Yeah. So this is the one thing I'm kind of excited about, because this will change once I leave the Marines, but historically it's like, we have fitness tests. In the summer and in the winter, we have two different types of fitness tests. So normally, after a meet for like eight to ten weeks, I'm kind of just really like I'm lifting, but I have to prepare for these tests. Like one of them is a, a 
full set of pull-ups, max to failure, a three-mile run, and a timed crunch test. And the other is called a CFT, a combat fitness test, basically similar things, similar kind of events. But when I'm preparing for those, I can't I can't lift like I want to, even in the off-season. So I'll take, like, periods of eight to ten weeks off from – I'm still squat, benching, and deadlifting, but I'm doing a lot less. I find ways to challenge myself. So, like, in the off-season, I did SSB, which has paid dividends more than I thought it would. So I'm going to do SSB again next off-season. Because I'm a very – I'm very leg dominant, and I'm not saying I have a weak posterior chain, but SSB forces you, it strengthens your upper back, and it forces you to use your posterior, like really strengthen it. Because when I squat, I, just like when I deadlift, I always want to try to be as upright as possible when I squat to cater towards my strengths. And when you figure out things that don't cater towards your strength, like I said, with me, it's SSB, uh, high bar in the past. problem is now like the, uh, what's it called? The back, I too high on my neck now it just hurts my like hurts the uh discs in my neck so i just find different exercises in the off season to challenge myself where i don't have to lift as much but it's still just as i mean you can say the same with bands right you know if you do banded deadlifts however much tension you can still get a benefit out of that without having to do the full weight like instead of doing 500 you do 350 with bands you know get the benefit at the top without taxing you as much so in the off season that's kind of how i go about it especially because i've been in the marine that years the last few years, I haven't had to run as much, thankfully, since I've been on the funeral team. Uh, especially when I was running 10-plus miles a week. There's a lot of – it was crazy back then. I did linear periodization, technically, but I was almost doing like an RPE, RPE kind of thing because more often than not, I'd show up to the gym already working a 14, 16-hour day, ran like four miles at 4 a.m. in the morning, and it's like 8 at night, and I'm just like, man, I, I'm not squatting – today but then i just like roll a fly and see what i could do because i in my mind i was like man like if i push myself and get hurt that's not gonna help anybody it's not gonna help me at all you know even if i'm projected to do something so i've learned to be very intuitive with my body i had no choice because i was in like a physically demanding kind of job um i think a lot of people could take that take something away from that i just started coaching and that's kind of something i'm trying to instill is like it's okay if certain days gotta modify it right I'd rather you modify it and you want to keep the momentum going. Like, if you have one or two workouts where, like, your pack's really tight, I don't want you to, like, have, like, a West Side mentality to say, <laughs> right. Just keep on loading. Like, you got to, like, you got to be smart because I think, I think back in the day, it was more, like, push through it, like, you know, just ignore the pain. You, there's there's times where you could push it, and there's certain, there's certain things where it's like, yeah, you probably shouldn't. I'm not saying take the day off, but find ways to work around something. You'll get some benefit. Maybe you can't back squat because your back is killing you, but maybe you could do, um, what's it called? Belt squat or leg press, you know, things that can still simulate you. Uh, but yeah, that's, and then in the in the end season, so end season is kind of different because I know I have to lift the heavy weights. So that's what sometimes you know, like I do push through things because I'm like, well, the off season, I can get away with that to a degree. Um, Usually my last heavy deadlift is around two and a half, three weeks out. Uh, every prep is kind of different. Sometimes I've done my last heavy pull two weeks out. It, it kind of all depends how things are going. Um, and, yeah, it's really – me and my, I've been with Casey for a few years, and I'm at the point now where – that's the thing is I feel like it takes at least a year for a coach to truly figure you out, at least figure out, like, what goes into peaking and all that. And we're at the point now where – 
kind of just like perfectly synchronized. Like I know, I know every prep, he's just, we're figuring shit out more and more and every meet we're just getting better. So I don't, I don't question anything, you know, I'm just like, okay, like, like I said, the FSB work and I did a lot of, uh, I did Duffalo bar for bench for added range of motion and stretch. That was very helpful. I did conventional in the off season. Uh, obviously my conventional is a lot weaker, but once again, I'm trying to do different things in the off season. So like, I do think it's, it did strengthen my back some. Like I said, my conventional, I could probably do a little over 900 if I were to like train and peak for it, like during a prep. But it's funny because people, people ask me, why don't I do that? I'm like, I don't get brownie points for doing right. Other, like, once again, that's like the newer generation. It's like the TikTok stuff. Like, a lot of times people ask me, dude, like, 900 conventional will be more impressive. Like, it's not like, you know, like, it's not like an open power that they have like a Humo or conventional. You, high, high bar, low bar, close grip, wide grip. Like, yeah. God, they don't. Cause that would just make that website yeah. a complete shit show for real, man. So leading up to the American pro, you also mentioned your, your time with the Marine Corps is almost done. How will things differ? And then going beyond that. Yeah. So when I get out, I'm going to, I'm going to do all my coaching and I might go back and, uh, I don't even know if my credits will still count, but get a degree. Cause since I'm going to have the GI bill and all these resources, I might as well use it. You know, it's free, like no reason not to, um, you mean like my training, how it's going to, Yes. Yeah. 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 The off season, I feel like it'll be more productive because not having to worry about running, not having to worry about, uh, a lot of, it's kind of hard to explain because like military, it's just go, go, go. There's a lot of like impromptu things that happen. A lot of days it's like, fuck, I haven't eaten a lot, you know, because something came up and I had to leave. Like, That's interrupt, but I've coached multiple athletes who are deployed or who active duty, and it is it is so hectic. That's why some people out there, and I don't even fully understand it. I just know it from my communications and having to adjust and modify for clients. But it honestly makes you know you and the Chad Penson also just so much more impressive understanding all these other outside factors. Because it's one thing for someone to have a nine to five job. They get off of work. They go, even if their nine to five job is manual labor, it's like so many unpredictables that go into it and still be able to progress as you have. It's very exciting to be able to see when you can uh, invoke what so many of the high level power lifters that are just, they're able to make a living off of sponsorships, off of coaching and whatever other small resources. And they can completely focus on training. It's very, very exciting. And with that, it makes me curious because yeah, yeah, you've gone back and forth between 242, 275. Have you ever fully filled out 275 or you like to kind of stay in the middle so you can fluctuate between the two? I mean, it's never been intentional. Uh, normally, I sit like 265 to 267 morning weight my last few preps. Like, I, I can't get much bigger until I get out because, like I said, I still have to be able to, like, form the fitness test and stuff. But I do want to try to, like I said, next year, next year, maybe next year at the pro, I'll go 308. Um, whatever meet I do later next year, I'll probably go 308. <laughs> I don't know. We'll, we'll see if I could get – if I could get above 275, that'd be crazy. Because uh, what I did last time was I was 271, and then I drank a gallon of water and weigh in stock 277 on the dot. And then I – literally, my guts felt like they were about to rip out because I was holding a gallon of water and not peeing. <laughs> yeah, like, 
think I could get bigger. I think I could get up to like 280 in due time. That would be like a few years from now. Because I, I do want to get bigger. I don't want to limit myself. I don't want to just restrict myself. But I've always been a super light or relatively light 275er because I didn't like, I just wanted to do my best. And obviously, I did a cut this last meet in March and it went fine, but it just sucked because it's just like so many more variables. Like the week of the meet, you got a water load. You're watching, you know, you're manipulating the salt and the carbs. And like, I'm just used to just chilling the week of the meet, just like laying back and then going up the way. And I'm like, sweet, let's just go on the scale. Oh, whatever it is, I don't care because I'm not over it. Like, so I definitely. I'll do 242 again in the future, at least one more time. But within a year or two, I know that's that should fail for me. Because once I'm once I'm over like 270, 273 morning weight, and I sit there comfortably, I'm not gonna want to go back down to like get. Oh, I'm not gonna want to lose weight to get within range to cut again to 242. You know. And I feel like you've probably had to dial that in due to having these different fitness tests and shit like that, not being able to get as heavy and worry about get, getting lighter in an off season. Cause you have to perform with X, Y, and Z. So it'll be very cool to see what you could do as a true 275. So going into the American yeah. pro you're doing 275 again, let, let let's mm-hmm. talk through some of the goals. You mentioned them before we hit record. Yeah. Let, let's hear some of the goals yeah. of the American pro. Yeah. So the goal at this point is, uh, is a 15. Let me do this. So I fell out in high school, so I've got to reaffirm. <laughs> so eight fifteen squat, a four ninety two bench, and obviously the uh, illustrious eleven five hundred kilo eleven oh two. So that will be twenty four oh nine. Because my my goal is to break twenty four hundred. So those those like I said, those numbers might skew. Because you never know. I'm going to be like I said. You gotta you gotta pivot. You know, maybe I squat maybe I squat eight twenty instead eight fifteen, and then I bench slightly less. But like Cumulatively, I want to put on a performance to break 2,400. You know, that would be – that's my that's my game plan going in. What does that put you at a dots perspective? Uh, I actually looked at it the other day. So if, if I weigh 268 – I'm just going to guess. Let's say I weigh 268. I'm going to be high, high 260s. If I'm 268 and I total 2410, that's like a 620-something dots. 20, 620, 622, something like that. Yeah, that would definitely be a huge dots PR because I did at my last meet, I chipped 600. I got like a 601 dots. And at the pro last year, I got a 595 when I did the 2303. So, yeah. And maybe I'll win some money. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, man. I, I got to hear your goals yeah. because Coach Jawan, obviously, who came in second. Yeah. A lot of strategy going against him and Der- uh, going against Derek and Zach and all these guys that have those, you know, 600, 603, 605 entry level dots. And if you look at the the uh, the, uh, the Mend and Sleeves primetime, there's five or six of you guys all with just above 600. You know, so yeah, obviously be, hack anything can happen. You you never know yeah. what can happen, but hack sitting up here, but all you other guys have these capabilities to really push beyond where you've been before. So yeah, I don't want to just test it to it's a battle for second and third. And hack already has first secured because again, anything can happen. But it's going to be very <laughs> cool to be able to see all that unfold also because again, there's money on the line also. Who doesn't want to take some money, yeah. right? Yeah, this is my first time. Well, I, I've obviously won a little like five six hundred from having heaviest deadlift, but this will be the first time 
I can actually say I'm in the running for overall dot. Like placings and overall dot top three, pretty cool. Because obviously I've always been known as the deadlift guy, right? And obviously that narrative would probably. It, it's funny because I've told my friends this. Even if I total 2400 plus, how, how, it's gonna how out, you, it's, not, it's gonna be so outshadowed by a 500 kilo deadlift. No, yeah, it's gonna yeah. be the fuck that you told it's, it's 2400. Still gonna be like. <laughs> You're the deadlift guy. And I'm like, and I looked it up. There's only been five, six people in the history of powerlifting who've done 2,400 plus in sleeves. So that that tells me I'm a, my total's pretty decent at that point. But once again, yeah. oh, oh, yeah. I know, like, <laughs> yeah. And I've come to terms with, like, can I look at it this way? Like, if I was more, if I was more even across my list, I probably wouldn't, like, you notice the people who go viral the most on social media, it's like, I'm not saying the one lift wonders, but they have one lift that's very above the rest. It's very impressive. And it's like you got you have a few seconds to catch someone's attention. So if you post something about go oh, I bench a deadlift or a cumulative thing, the average person is gonna be like, okay, scroll next. But within two seconds, if you could catch their attention, that's like because I remember I had like three, four thousand followers like three, four years ago. But it's like every time I compete and I break an all-time record or I do you know, my heaviest pulls, it just 5, 10, 15 pages repost me, and then it just brings this, like, insane traffic to my page, you know? So I can't be mad about that. <laughs> yeah, that's right, man. But it's funny because it's like when you look at historically deadlift guys, their other lifts are trailing behind. They're not really necessarily close to all-time world record totals, or, you know, they're just picking up so much slack from their deadlift. They are, but it's like, like you said, mm-hmm pretty well-rounded in all three, but it just helps being a deadlift uh, a specialist when it comes to what actually matters, which is battling for those dots at the end to get that podium placement, you know? But with that said, you mentioned, okay, t- top six uh, people in sleeves who ever total over 2,400. Historically, on your open power, you have competed in wraps before, long time ago. Do you ever see yourself getting back in wraps? Possibly. I think after this beat, I might, but I haven't even, I haven't even wrapped in like five, six years. Like back then, I didn't get much out of wraps. I used to get like 30, 40 pounds of wraps, but I, knowing what I know now and now that I'm friends with a lot of people who are really good with wraps, you know, because obviously I believe to a degree your technique, I don't want to say your technique changes, but like how you go about the squat when you have really stiff or stiff enough knee wraps on. Because if I could get like 80 to 100 pounds out of wraps, then it would be worth it for me. Because obviously, in wraps, the totals are higher, obviously, because there's people getting 100, 150 pounds out of wraps who really know how to use them. So that's why I started doing sleeves for the most part is because if I'm not getting even a remote inherent advantage, I'm just, you know, I'm already competing against higher totals. Because I'm thinking after, like I said, I broke in the deadlift, all-time deadlift, the 242, 275, 308. And uh, the total, it's going to be between me and Zach Myers. And, dude, Zach is like, Zach is looking insane this prep. Like, he is just like the juggernaut. He's the juggernaut that no one ever notices, man. Like, he, when I, I'll train with him sometimes in exile, and you just witness it in person. I just can't believe that he doesn't get more recognition sometimes. Because he's like squatting, squatting upwards of 900, can bench. I think he'll bench 650 in the next year or so. And then now his deadlift's coming up. He's he's, he's going to be mid to high eights on deadlift, you know. So, but I do think in wraps, because then it could be another total I could go after in the future at 275 or 308. I just need to figure out how to utilize them, you know. Couldn't be too hard now. 
And it's a long game, man. It's like you got so much time. You're healthy. You have, you know, yeah. a career ahead of you in powerlifting. And it's definitely very exciting to see. And it, it's very cool. Like Zach Myers is your direct competition for the American Pro. But even before we, we hit record, we talked about training with him. And, you know, you got you guys being buddies. And he's actually one of the next guests that we have lined up for the uh, WRP oh, podcast. Awesome. So it'll be cool to hear no, his goals also. And yeah. be both no, of Juwan's competition. <laughs> yeah, because Zach's also going to get a 600. Like, like I said, yeah, he would still get, like, I believe, honestly, it's at the 275 for the pro, it's going to take damn to 20. Like, whether it's me or Zach, whoever's on top, it's going to take up with the 2400 because that's, that's what it's coming to now. Because, like I said, Zach did 2375 at 308. Yeah, he didn't cut, but he had, he had more in the tank in all those lists. So he wasn't like, you know, he wasn't going all out. And obviously, you know, cutting away for me plays a role. Yeah, I'm just excited because he's not only a great dude, but like obviously as a competitor, like and that, that's why I like if we could push each other, but it, it doesn't turn personal. Like, you know, like there's no vendettas, there's no egos, there's no super high egos, like, oh, I'm, I'm above you, or I'm better than you. It's like we're both mutually respectable towards each other, you know? Yeah, I, I wish I had his best, dude. If I had his best, it'd be game <laughs> over. You and me both, bro. That shit is bro. Nuts. That yeah. shit is nuts. But no, man, it, it's it's awesome the sport where it's evolved and where it's progressing to, and people supporting each other and everyone being buddies. At the end of the day, we're all normal people and fuck the people with the egos. That's what I say. <laughs> yeah. But exactly. hell yeah, man. It's been it's been exciting hearing your story, hearing your journey leading up to the American Pro. I'm very excited that I'll be able to be there in person again. See that 500 kilos loaded on the bar again. Let everyone know where they can find you. Sign us out. Yeah, so my Instagram is Dan. Dan can't believe I didn't remember that. I should know by now. Dan underscore Griggs. And uh, that's the main one. Like, I have TikTok, but I haven't used that in ages. I'm kind of thinking about starting TikTok. Like, TikTok, do you have a TikTok? Nah, bro. We're too old for that shit, bro. Yeah, like, <laughs> I did it for, like, six weeks, and I just – all the comments, I was like, dude, what are these people on right now? Yeah, it's a lot of passing those comments on the TikTok split. Also, for the notoriety, as you said, I have the potential to get sponsorship. It's probably not in YouTube, too. I'll probably start doing in the future. There's multiple avenues to showcase the brand, you know? Like, but for now, it's just Instagram, Dan Accord Race. Hell yeah, man. Guys, thank you for tuning in. I hope you guys are excited as I am to see Danny do some big things coming up the American Pro and in the coming years. Danny, I'll see you in a few weeks, and thanks for hopping on. Appreciate it, Alec.